Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And welcome, folks, to another episode of the show as we continue to explore major trends, technologies, timely news topics, and the people behind the telecom and larger communications industries. Again, make sure you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com, for previous episodes of the show and to make sure you don't miss out on future ones. Um, you can also find other resources related to the topics we'll be breaking down today, uh, as well as more info on our solutions and services on our website, amphenolbroadband.com. And make sure that you're subscribing to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll get notifications when we drop new episodes and you can also check out the back catalog of conversations. There's plenty of good ones there. All right, folks, let's dive in to the episode today. So on today's episode of Wavelengths, we're actually turning our focus away from some of our usual topics of technology, uh, technology trends, uh, federal funding initiatives. We spend lots of time breaking those down. And we're actually going to look at uh, the telecom and network workforce, right? The folks that are behind the scenes making it happen for the industry. And more importantly, we're going to focus in on the importance of continuous education of our network professionals. What do I mean and why? Well, let's give a little more context. We're obviously in an era where, uh, you know, networks in general are expanding in scope. They're becoming not only smaller, but bigger. You know, we're seeing them deployed for more use cases and more technologies uh, in more industries. 5G rolling out en masse, uh, the Internet of Things, both in industrial and home and commercial settings, proliferating and expanding its reach and use cases. Remote work, more prevalent than ever, putting strain on uh, and, you know, more touch points with network reliability and network consistency between end users. And the telecom industry is obviously at the heart of this transformation. But guess what stands between seamless connectivity and catastrophic failure? Well, that would be network reliability and network resilience. So as we push the boundaries of what's possible with our networks, the stakes for maintaining a robust network has really never been higher. But here's the kicker, right? It's not just about the tech. More importantly, it's about the people behind the tech that are helping keep things afloat. And that's where today's episode comes in. Today, we're going to be detailing the importance of technical education for maintaining reliable networks and why upskilling your team is not a nice to have or a fun perk for employee retention. It's actually a must have. And we're going to explain why we're going to discuss actionable strategies for internal onboarding, external technical training, the partnerships and curriculum development and dynamics there, and how those educational initiatives directly impact your network's resilience. And who better to share these strategies than our very own training manager here at ABS. So I'm pleased to welcome our expert for today's conversation, Mr. Charles Dillard. He's training manager for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Charles, great to have you on, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you again for joining us and shedding some light on what is your uh, expertise, your career, right, is um, helping guide the professionals that make the telecom industry possible and make sure that they're fully up to date on changing technologies and dynamics in the industry. And we're going to break all those down. So again, thanks for sharing your perspectives and knowledge pool with our audience. Um, I want to go ahead and just jump right in. I gave a few examples 
but I want to paint the big picture, right? So even if this seems a bit elementary, can you share in your view why network reliability has become more in focus, right? Such a mission critical element for businesses and industries of all walks. Give us your high level thoughts there. First, you have to identify what a reliable network looks like. So now when we talk about hardware and software and how it's evolved, probably the biggest change uh, is less about a particular software or hardware, but uh, interfacing, uh, manufacturing interfacing with uh, each other uh, because uh, there are more people interfacing you know, with that piece of equipment or that technology or that device. Uh, so whether it's a television manufacturer that has apps on their TVs now, and then now you have a cable operator that, uh, you know, needs to uh, be able to stream content. Um, and you have to have the test equipment that can actually, you know, monitor and test, uh, you know, for uh, uh, impairments, et cetera. So as we think about hardware and software, the biggest uh, change is, is that uh, more people are coming together and having conversations about, you know, the roadmap, the end goal. Uh, and, you know, again, that's the, uh, probably the biggest, uh, evolution. I'm curious how all of these different things are coming together to impact the workforce that maintains and upgrades these systems, right? Have improvements to network tech, expansions of network reach, new networks. Has this all created any strain for the network professionals that help maintain said networks? What's been some of the domino effects over the last few years? Uh, great question. Uh, when you look at the workforce, you know, you have your two segment, like uh, new employees, and then you have your existing employees that may have been around, you know, for you know years, decades even. And with uh, any time there's new technology, you know, there's a learning curve. Uh, and what we're seeing is, is that uh, with new uh, people that are coming on, you know, they, they were born, you know, with mobile devices in their hand understanding uh, Wi-Fi and what a uh, SSID is, whereas we may have some more tenure employees who, uh, you know, came up from the old school way of, you know, everything was just RF, uh, analog, and over the years, they have uh, had to get out of their comfort zone. Uh, and, you know, anytime with hardware and software updates, uh, especially software, uh, it changes so fast. If you think about you know, your mobile phone, no matter who your provider is, they're seeing there always be an update uh, that they want you to download because they're continually trying to improve their networks and they're noticing, you know, some uh, bugs in the system, et cetera. So, uh, you know, again, it's important to stay on top of, uh, you know, uh, understanding these technologies. Uh, but in the workforce, again, uh, making sure that everyone, uh, you know, understands whatever you know, industry you're in, the, the services that you're providing, how it works, and how you're able to troubleshoot it, uh, you know, if there is a problem with it. I want to intersect another uh, interesting transformation that we're seeing, not just in network technology, really in a lot of uh, – a lot of OT and IT fields, uh, we see this in like HVAC as, as well, for example, completely different, but just to paint that larger picture, network tech, hardware and software nowadays are coming equipped with a lot of intelligence, right? We're talking edge intelligence, better data insights, automated and proactive oversight baked in to the hardware or the software in a way that it hadn't been 10, even five years ago. Is this level of intelligence of sort of added features for better insights 
and even automation. Is this helping network professionals provide regular maintenance of tech and systems to a, a, an enhanced degree? Or has it also come with its own operational challenges, getting the workforce to understand some of these new systems and the insights that they provide? I, I'm sure it's a little of both, but walk me through that dynamic and what you're seeing, um, you know, if, if either of those options. Yeah, I, th I think it's helped uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's nothing more important than having uh, information at the hand of the person that needs it in real time. So to have the ability to have test equipment uh, that can show you uh, the entire network, uh, for example. Uh, I remember, you know, back in my cable days of being a field technician, I would go to a customer house, you know, I would have my signal level meter and I, you know, I had the ability to check the signal and then I had to troubleshoot from there. Uh, but like you mentioned, now those same test equipment uh, has a lot more features, a lot uh, remote monitoring and telemetry uh, possibilities. And uh, so what happened is now a technician can, you know, look at an entire uh, network. So, for example, not just that one customer that may be plugged to that, uh, that service tab, but they can, you know, remote into software and look at everybody that's feeding out of that, you know, optical node. And then uh, instantly they can see, you know, is this a neighborhood issue or is, is this going to be a single customer issue? And based on that, they're able to make a, uh, a decision uh, faster. You know, is it something that I can just fix myself at the subscriber's home or do I need to contact, you know, a maintenance technician because there appears to be, um, you know, a problem in the network. But, you know, there's a technicians and supervisors and managers, you know, they want to be able to look at the network in the area that they're responsible for uh, to make sound decision of, you know, sending the right person uh, for that job and not having to, you know, send one, uh, some person and then, you know, having to send a maintenance tech or a construction tech later. So, uh, you know, and that is only because of, you know, these uh, edge equipment and devices having uh, more intelligence with it. Uh, but, you know, there's some challenges with that, which is, uh, you know, the training side of it, you know, uh, getting people to understand, like, you know, with this meter, uh, you have all these options uh, and knowing, you know, which option to use for the particular uh, impairment. Uh, so uh, that is addressed with training. Uh, and uh, but over time, as they uh, run into those issues, uh, you know, day after day, uh, just like anything, uh, it becomes second nature to them. So let's get a little more into the training layer of this conversation, right? Obviously, a major part of making sure networks are well-maintained and keep up with some of these, um, you know, market shifts, industry shifts, continuous evolutions to technology uh, is to have well-trained employees, right? Um, the linchpin of network reliability is obviously the pros that help keep those networks reliable. So I'm curious, you know, being a uh, you know, technical uh, and training manager yourself. Um, what are your thoughts on the importance of technical education and how critical is this for network reliability, both, or, you know, for uh, improving skills around troubleshooting and keeping networks up, both for new entrants to the workforce, but also for vets, right? Folks that have been in the workforce for a while. Give us your thoughts on the importance of this layer for overall network health and reliability. I may be a little biased just because I've been in training for two decades now in the uh, cable industry, but it's extremely important. Uh, 
And, you know, there are in the past, uh, a lot of companies, you know, they view training as, uh, you know, a nice to have, uh, you know, it wasn't perceived as a, a revenue generating department. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the past, uh, you know, training was kind of put on the back burner. Uh, but the message over the years that, you know, we put out is that, you know, although it may not be revenue generating, uh, if you don't have a properly trained workforce, it could cost you a lot of money and, you know, repeats and, uh, you know, poor services for our customers to the point to where customers may leave, uh, you know, our uh, services and go to another provider. And being that you've been in the industry for 20 years, about 20 years plus, uh, I want to get some anecdotal stories here to help frame this in practice, right? The benefit and utility of continued education and um, fresh education uh, for new entrants in the field as well. So can you paint some examples pulling from your extensive experience and, uh, you know, maybe literal uh, training moments from your career that really showcase what you've seen in, in terms of the uh, value and benefit of uh, technically trained, continuously trained network uh, pros, excuse me, being able to better troubleshoot and make informed decisions in today's network tech ecosystem. What are your thoughts there? I remember when a company that I worked for, we first launched internet service. And I had the, uh, my first training was to uh, get technician uh, to understand how to set up a cable modem and log into a computer and troubleshoot. Um, what I learned was over the years was that, you know, physical stuff, it's easier for people to learn how to do because they can look and see, hey, there's not a light on that device. It must be unplugged, you know, et cetera. Uh, the cable's not plugged in. But with internet, you know, we were introduced to uh, more logical troubleshooting. And so uh, we had to you know, teach technician, you know, what is an IP address and how does having the wrong IP address or subnet mask can cause uh, a lack of connection, you know, on a network, right? So because they couldn't put their hands on it, it was a lot harder for them to, you know, understand the logical side of, you know, how data works. So, uh, but as we did a lot more of that training, what I noticed over the years is that as we started to introduce other technologies, uh, whether it was a voice over IP, uh, now we get into, uh, you know, Docs uh, you know, 4.0, uh, you know, we're currently doing Docs 3.1. Uh, and a lot of that stuff, even like with Remote 5, where we're taking what used to be uh, information that was stored in the head end, and now we're pushing some of that, those layers, you know, layer one and layer two of the OSI model out into the field. Uh, but it's more logical than uh, anything. And that's cool to hear, right, that there's somewhat of a domino effect, right? Once you build that habit, that uh, mentality, and that strategy, really, for continuous education, each sort of further continued node of education gets a little simpler. It adds on uh, to an already existing pool of knowledge. But I'm curious, though, you know, I imagine sometimes there's a major shift in the market, in workflows and technologies, uh, in available, you know, um, tools to help sort of uh, assess the health of a network. I'm curious if that poses any key challenges in keeping a curriculum up with some of these evolutions. And could you break down for us some of your strategies for curriculum development 
And now you make sure to match said curriculum to where the market's at and where you see it heading. Is that how do we have our curriculum have a you know, longer shelf life, uh, but then also pointing uh, learners you know, to where that document is housed. Another thing with that also is that when we point learners to where information is, it takes, uh, it puts learning in their own hands. So instead of a instructor in front of a classroom telling them, you know, this is the answer uh, and here's why, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling, you know, learning out of uh, the individual in that case. Uh, and when you do that, what we've noticed over the years is that they get used to trying to go and find information, you know, whether it's on a uh, training site or a process engineering site. So that way they're not dependent on the next time they're in a training class, um, you know, so uh, in which will, you know, you know, eventually, you know, build a culture of continuous uh, you know, education and uh, the, uh, the desire to keep learning. And I want to hone in now on those learning strategies, right? Because it's one thing to acknowledge that training is key and to implement it, um, but it's another to really bake it into the culture of an organization, a company, um, you know, a trade org, uh, even, um, you know, a, a partnered trade school or something that helps facilitate some of this training. And that hits on some of the distinct challenges and strategies for internal onboarding and internal continuous training versus external technical training. Can you discuss some of the benefits of both of those pools, right? Is one more effective than another? Do they need to complement each other? Kind of what does that ecosystem look like in today's um, larger sort of telecom industry? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, Internal training, you know, there are some things that you want your uh, workforce to know and understand where there is no uh, uh, deviation of that information, meaning, um, you know, for example, compliance related training. You know, it is our uh, that company's policy that, you know, you conduct yourself in a certain manner. Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, your internal specification, you know, so, uh, you know, we want to make sure that a, uh, a particular device in the uh, network has the appropriate signal level and voltage level. So our internal training uh, team will make sure that our, you know, the workforce understands, you know, those uh, metrics and uh, that information. But then there's times where, uh, you know, you take external training, whether it's, uh, so for example, a vendor. You have all this equipment in your network, you know, whether it's amplifiers or you know, passive devices, optical nodes, et cetera, and, uh, and different flavors of it. Well, no one is going to be more of an expert than uh, the uh, individual that make it. So that's where partnering with uh, you know, external uh, uh, you know, entities such as vendors uh, can come into play and help you out, whereas your internal team can focus on, you know, new hire training, making sure they understand, you know, HR policies and the company specs and, and the procedures and policies, whereas uh, we can uh, leverage, uh, example, vendors uh, to cover the new equipment that, you know, just showed up in the warehouse. And hopefully that's not the first time they're aware of the, uh, that there's the new equipment coming is when it shows up in the warehouse, 
but using uh, external entities and not even just them, but uh, committees, uh, you know, that uh, create standards, you know, like SCTE and Cisco, you know, leveraging them. So that way, you know, uh, your trainer uh, can focus on internal, um, you know, content, but then also they can uh, have time to build their skill set and they're not having to learn every type of possible device and how it works, you know, et cetera. So uh, both are necessary and, uh, and if used, uh, you know, the right way can be uh, very effective. This is a layer of the topic that, you know, we see in most industries that especially have a, a tenured workforce uh, that have professionals who have really, you know, cut their teeth on the industry, made a, a, you know, a name for themselves, planted their flag and have some pride in their existing skills. I imagine there might be some challenges in sort of the culture of desiring more skills, right, of of kind of helping professionals understand that even if you are great at your job now, there's always something fresh to add to the pool so you can stay competitive in the market. Do you see any of those kinds of challenges, right? Um, challenges around uh, setting a culture of education, of continued education, setting a culture of pros desiring and understanding the importance of expanding their knowledge pools. And if you do see some of that, what are some strategies that you see and try yourself for fostering that culture of continuous learning in the industry? Yeah, uh, especially uh, like you mentioned with, uh, you know, whether it's technicians or, you know, uh, whoever the employees are that's been there forever, uh, you know, a lot of time it comes down to, uh, you know, how do you position them uh, more as a, a mentor role uh, versus just, you know, another, you know, a technician, uh, and, uh, for an example. Uh, and part of that is, is uh, you know, like you mentioned, what the culture is, is that, you know, as, as, as leaders in the company, uh, I think we have to do a better job of, uh, letting everyone in the company to see and understand the roadmap that you know senior leadership uh, and engineering et cetera has uh, kind of defined for the company so you know what you know what will your company look like say a year from now or three years from now and don't wait until we're getting ready to launch you know a new architecture or initiative say like fiber to the home you know we want to start kind of planning uh, the seed that hey here's where our company is now Here's where we're going. And when you do that, you know, people that's been in the industry a long time, we have the ability to meet people where they are. You know, nowadays people are on their mobile devices. So we don't want to only design training for the classroom. We want to make sure that, you know, if they're always on their mobile phone, then that's where, you know, we as a company, that's where we as a training organization, uh, because we're competing with people's attention. And if their attention is on their mobile device, we need to be there. If they're watching videos, we need to be in that format. And if we can do those things, then, you know, those, uh, you know, veteran employees that's been there a long time, you know, they're more uh, apt to, uh, you know, uh, to join in and embrace, uh, you know, uh, continuing their education. So. All right, Charles, we're just about done with the conversation. Thank you for your perspective so far today, sharing all of your on the ground experiences and, um, you know, your strategies for successfully implementing continued 
technical education for network pros. I'm curious uh, now as we wrap up, looking ahead, where you see this landscape continuing to evolve, whether that's the larger uh, you know, telecom market or uh, the technologies around it, or even just more specifically, the future of technical education within that evolving landscape. What do you see as the future based on how the industry is continuing to evolve? And any final thoughts here for our audience? There's a lot of smart people all over the world. And, you know, they're, uh, one thing about trainers, uh, they love to share information. So uh, it's not hard uh, to get information out of them, but how do we scale training? And also, and, and, you know, one way of doing that is not, you know, keep it in a box and, and think that it has to be a real person in real time. It could be videos, it could be animation, and it could be virtual reality. So uh, um, if you build it, they will come. And, and, and I am an advocate of like new things, thinking outside of the box and, uh, and learning. Um, and I want to leave with this note uh, is that, you know, for those that, you know, embrace uh, training and learning, but even the ones that are hesitant because, you know, they felt like, you know, in school, you know, I was you know, never, you know, book smart, you know, et cetera. Uh, you know, when I first became a trainer, uh, a mentor taught me early on, he said, the first rule of being a trainer is you'll never know everything. And as soon as you understand that, you're going to be great. So what you want to do is figure out how do I find information? And that's what we want to do for our you know, workforce is have information that they can access uh, at any time and know where to find it. And then when we need to you know, gather them for you know, hands-on training and structure-led training, you know, we can you know, make time you know, for that. So. All right. Well, I think on that note, Charles, we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation. So, Charles, thank you so much for your time today on the show. Again, for digging into what you've seen as the benefits of continued and new technical education for network professionals and some strategies for implementing those thoughtfully, whether internally or partnering with external entities to help make it happen. Again, folks, we've been chatting with Charles Dillard, training manager for Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Charles, if folks want to find out a little bit more about how ABS is supporting this ecosystem of training, maybe learn from you, maybe get in touch. Where should we point them? Uh, yes, thanks, uh, Daniel. Uh, they can go to uh, you know our site, uh, FNLBroadbandSolutions.com. We're on YouTube, LinkedIn. Uh, you know we're putting out a lot of content, uh, a lot of fiber-related content, uh, videos, etc. Uh, so, uh, or they can uh, reach me at cdillard at abs go. Fantastic. Easy enough. All right, Charles, thank you again for your time. Uh, I really appreciate you again joining us and sharing your perspectives with our audience. I'm sure they found it useful and strategic. So much appreciated. We'll obviously be chatting again soon. Thank you again. Thanks, Daniel. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want to tap into previous perspectives or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future conversations on the show, make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, amphenolbroadband.com. And subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. We'll catch you on the next episode of Wavelengths. Wavelengths.